Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You are about to hear a sermon entitled, Where Do You Stand with Jesus? As we celebrate Palm Sunday and the week in Jesus' life leading up to Easter Sunday, it is important to know in our hearts where and how we stand with Jesus. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. Well, listen, I am glad you're all here. This is Palm Sunday, and, and today we're going we're gonna to look at those scriptures from Palm Sunday, and we're going to see what God wants to speak to us today in 2017 on this Palm Sunday. So if you would, I'm going to read the, the scriptures from Matthew chapter 21. You can follow along in your Bible or on your smartphone. The scriptures will also be on the screen behind me. So let's look at what happened on that first Palm Sunday. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, which while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So those are the scriptures for that first Palm Sunday. And as we gather and when we celebrate Palm Sunday today, I just want to uh, sort of ask you to, to ponder this for a moment. Uh, have you ever watched something with somebody else, a group of other people? Maybe it's a movie or maybe it's an event. And you have different interpretations of what you've seen. You, you, ever, you ever experienced that? I've experienced that. In fact, I remember one moment particularly in life. Uh, when, my, when my son was 13, I, I wanted to teach him what it meant to be a man. And so we began to do some father-son getaways. And I remember particularly one getaway. We went up to the White Mountains. We went up and did some hiking. And I brought along a movie that would illustrate, I, I thought, something about manhood. And so I, I brought, him to, brought that movie for him to see. And, and uh, it, it was the movie Saving Private Ryan. Uh, now, that's old enough. I don't think I'm going to spoil the outcome for anybody, okay? I, I think we've probably all seen it or we know what it's about. But just to refresh your memory, Saving Private Ryan is the story of a soldier named, whose last name is Ryan. Uh, he has three brothers. Uh, they have all gone uh, into the service for World War II. Three of them have been killed in action. And when the Secretary of Defense in Washington discovers that three of the four sons of these parents have been killed in action, they want to bring the fourth and final son home, Private Ryan. Private Ryan has landed on the beaches in Normandy with the rest of uh, other soldiers, and he has moved inland. And so a captain, Captain Miller, and a squadron of about eight soldiers are sent to find Private Ryan and return him home to his parents. 
And the bulk of the, of the movie is basically about what they had to deal with to find Private Ryan. And, and, and as the movie is drawing to a close, uh, Private uh, Ryan and Captain Miller and their squadron are in a huge fight, uh, a, a huge battle, and Captain Miller is mortally wounded and uh, the Air Force comes in and they're able to defeat the enemy and so uh, they're all safe. Uh, but Private Ryan goes to Captain Miller and, and you know, he can tell that this captain and several other soldiers have made the ultimate sacrifice to, to bring him home. And, and as he bends down to talk to Captain Miller, the captain says to Ryan, earn this earn this and as you're watching the movie it fast forwards 50 some years and you see private ryan now in his late 60s walking in that uh, american cemetery uh, in normandy france and there's rows upon rows of graves of u.s soldiers and he he finds the marker with Captain, Ryan's, Captain Miller's name on it. And, and Ryan goes up. He's very emotional. And he salutes the grave. And his wife is there. And he turns to his wife and he says, tell me I lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good person. Because he wants to know that he earned the sacrifice of Captain Miller. And you can tell every time I watch that movie, I just get emotional. And so the movie ends that way. And I turn off the movie and I turn to my son and, you know, there's tears on my eyes and I'm struggling to hold it together. I said, so Taylor, what did you think? And Taylor looks at me and he's quiet and he says, Dad, those were some amazing fight scenes. I'm going, oh, I'm going, we didn't see the same thing there, you know? Two different interpretations. Well, well, I tell you that story because what happened on Palm Sunday is evidence of the same thing because there's really at least three different groups of people that we see in the story of what happened on Palm Sunday and not everybody's getting the same interpretation. And, and so I, I want to look at that this morning. You, you know, it's an amazing day. And, and it's amazing to me because we read from the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew, unlike the other Gospel writers, unlike Mark and Luke and John, he brings in the prophecy of Zechariah. Because Matthew seems to be a student of Scripture and he understands the Old Testament Scriptures and he understands that Jesus is fulfilling them. And so he brings in this prophetic word from Zechariah. I'm going to read it from the Scriptures of Zechariah. Matthew didn't remember it verbatim, word for word, so I'll just read it again here from Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. That's Israel. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. Obviously, that's the city of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. In Matthew 25, the, verse 5, Matthew quotes that passage. Now, 
Scholars who have studied this passage help us understand some of the significance that just wouldn't communicate to us in the 21st century. Some of you may know this, but, but in ancient Near East, uh, when a king entered into, city, into a city riding on a war horse, that king would do that in order to convey his military power particularly when he was entering into a newly conquered city, a city where his rule may have been regarded with uh, illegitimacy, uh, uh, where his rule may have been met with suspicion, or where his rule may be outright rejected by the people. So it was calculated and it was important to ride in on a, on a military steed, a war horse, an animal that you would ride into battle. But there was an exception about what kind of animals a king would ride in when he went into his city. That exception came when the king was loved and beloved by the people and when he entered into his own capital city. The capital city of Israel is Jerusalem. And when a king would ride into his capital city loved by people, he would ride in on an animal that conveyed peace. So Zechariah speaks of a day when Jerusalem would see her king, her beloved king, her king in the line, in the lineage of King David who would ride in. He would come in peace, but he would come to conquer an enemy once and for all and secure a lasting peace, a lasting deliverance, a lasting salvation. And so Zechariah saw that hope of a true king, that people would say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord when they saw him riding in on a donkey. Now, when we return to the story, what we read there about Palm Sunday, we see that the disciples and the people understood some of what Zechariah was saying. They saw that Jesus was the coming king. That's why they went and they cut palm branches, and that's why they laid down their cloaks, because this was something that happened when you read in some of the other ancient uh, letters of those times, particularly in the books of Maccabees. You'll see that when a king would come in, they would cut branches from palm leaves and they would lay them down sort of like laying out the red carpet to welcome the dignity this this very important person to come in and that's what they were doing because they saw Jesus coming in and, and they believed that he was the coming king who would save Israel from their enemies and establish a new reign like the beloved king David But from many observers come many interpretations. For many of the people, the overwhelming sense is that here we have a new king in town and he's going to destroy the enemies. And who are the enemy of Jerusalem, of the Israelites? It was, the, it was Rome. You see, Jerusalem and much of Israel was occupied by the Roman emperor's troops, Roman army and uh, Roman soldiers, and they were not popular. They were known for having their way, for extorting money and abusing people and handing out justice without any equity at all. And so 
The people were looking for a king who would deliver Israel from Rome and the occupying forces. And that's how the general population sees Jesus. That's why they come out and rejoice. That's why they lay out palm branches and cloaks. But again, that's not what everybody saw. For instance, the Pharisees and the other Jewish leaders, uh, the, those who were in power of, a, of Judaism at that, that time, they saw something completely different. They saw somebody that was, one, trying to usurp their power, take them out of power and control, or two, something equally as worse, someone who was going to stir up trouble with the Roman soldiers and with Caesar. And either case was bad. And so if you read a little further in chapter 21, the Pharisees say this to Jesus. They say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, get them to shut up. Tell them to stop saying that. Tell them to stop stirring up trouble. Tell them to stop saying that there's somebody in charge other than the high priest. They're livid. They're angry. Jesus' response to the Pharisees, I just find so interesting. Jesus says this, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. stones. Jesus is talking about to the Pharisees that they've got the wrong interpretation of what they are seeing. And with that statement, he's saying something not only about the Pharisees, but about his followers. He seems to acknowledge that even if his followers, even if the crowd gets it wrong, it doesn't matter because there's only one correct interpretation of what's going on. And Jesus is saying, if you don't get it, if the people don't get it, even if my disciples don't get it, the creation which I'm king over gets it. And the creation will cry out. So I look at this story and I say, well, you know, there's three possible interpretations of what's going on here. And I think we all know that there's only one correct interpretation. Now, let's just toss out one altogether. The, the, the one that the Pharisees represent, this interpretation that, that uh, Jesus is going to overtake uh, the power of the Pharisees and the other leaders there. Um, I think we all agree that that's not the right interpretation. So let me ask you, We've got two interpretations left. What's your interpretation of what's going on? Where are you with Jesus? Where do you stand? Are you with the people? Are you with the creation? Jesus came to be king. And we have to decide where we stand with him today. Oh, the interpretation's a little bit different in the 21st century. But, you know, we may say, oh yeah, he was a great leader, he's a great king, I love Jesus, the son of God. But he can't be the Lord of my life. But we have this evidence that the creation would rejoice that the Lord is here. So where do you stand Let's look at, at four things that we know from the rest of the testimony of Scripture about King Jesus. Four things. You see, the people, the people wanted Jesus to be a king who would rule by a strong hand. 
But that's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to be your king who rules by a serving hand. The people thought he came with a strong hand. Jesus came to rule with a serving hand. And we see this in scripture. You know, there's a story where two of his disciples, the brothers, James and John, they get into an argument. They say, Jesus, when you come in your glory, when you come to establish your kingdom, who's going to get to sit at your right hand? Who's going to get to be your number one person? And who's going to get to sit at your left hand? Number two. James and John wanted, they both wanted to be number one. And the rest of the disciples heard this and what they heard made them upset and indignant. And Jesus called all the disciples together. And this is what he said. He said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. He's saying, listen, To be great, you must become less. To be the leader, you must be the servant of all. But then he goes even further and says something prophetic about himself. He said, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This isn't the kind of king the people were looking for. One who would serve and become a ransom for, would give his life to become a ransom for many. And yet, that's what Jesus said. I have come to be a king who will serve the people and give my life as a ransom for many. Those are not the terms that the people were looking for. Will you accept Jesus as your king on those terms? We all have to decide. Let's look at what else Jesus came to do. He came to be our king, but in a very poignant conversation with Pilate, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. You see, the people wanted Jesus to be their king, to come and bring glory to their nation, to an earthly kingdom with earthly leaders. And and he wanted them to bring glory to them. But that's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to be your king who brings glory to God. Not to you, not to a nation, but to God. Jesus came to be a king who would not honor people as the supreme authority, not a nation, but God Almighty. Jesus taught this to his disciples then, and we believe it is a teaching for us today. Also from the Gospel of Matthew, he said, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify you. No, that's not what he says. Let your light shine before all people so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus came to bring glory to God, not to people, not to a nation. He came to give glory to God. And that wasn't the kind of king that people were looking for. He was pointing people away from themselves and to God. You see what Jesus did? What will you do with Jesus? 
His kingdom was not of this world. His kingdom was with God. And and one day he will return and establish his kingdom on earth. But at that time, he was saying, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is with God, and I want to give God the glory. Let's look at the next thing. The people wanted Jesus to be their king who would come and conquer and kill their enemies. That that he would lead a revolution against the armies of Rome. That he would kick them out, drive them all the way back to Rome. But Jesus came to be your king who conquers your enemies with kindness. The Jewish authorities did not like Jesus. They conspired against him. They plotted to have him killed. But Jesus, the king of love, had another way. And he boldly said, that is not my way. He said, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He taught us to follow his example and to be kind and loving to those who hate us, to those who are our enemies. And, and speaking of enemies, he, we even see later in the scriptures that the Apostle Paul understood this. And, and he tells us this very word. He says that while we were enemies of God, while we didn't, before we believed in him, we were his enemies, God reconciled us to him through Jesus. That's how much God loves us. That's how much God loves his enemies. Jesus came to teach us to love our enemies and to love God who loved us, even when we were against God. So Jesus is our king, and he lived out that love that he calls us to. Will you accept him and love like that? Here's the last thing the people wanted. They wanted a king who would deliver them from their oppressors. But Jesus came to be your king who delivers you from the oppression of your sins. Jesus said this. He said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. You see, Jesus knew something. He he knew that earth is not our home, that heaven is our home. He knew that our time on earth will come to an end for all of us, but that he could offer us eternal life. He, He understood that somewhere along the way, we all die. So he said, don't be afraid of somebody who can kill the body. Be afraid of someone who can kill the soul. Jesus knew that human oppressors could kill our bodies, but not our soul. He also knew, though, that our sin, if not dealt with, if not forgiven by God Almighty, would destroy our souls because we would be eternally separated from God. So Jesus came to remove the oppression of our sins, to save us. If you don't remember, remember when when it was foretold to, to Mary and Joseph that they would have a son, and they were to call him Jesus. Why? Because he would save his people. Jesus means 
God delivers. God saves. The very name that we call him reminds us that he came to deliver us from the oppression of our sins. So what will you do with Jesus? Will you let him be your king? On Palm Sunday, not everybody had the same interpretation that we're talking about. Some people thought that he was a king who had designs on taking over Israel and kicking Rome out. Some thought he was going to throw out the high priest and his government. Some people thought that he was going to come and be a military ruler. Remember this about the crowds. Those crowds who said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Some of those same people less than a week later stood silent when Jesus was arrested and accused or worse some of those same people said crucify him the crowd us we can be fickle we can be for Jesus one day and against him the next day we can say yeah I like Jesus being the king but I don't want him to be the king of my life really Jesus wants to be the king of your life. He, he wants to be the king of your heart. He wants to be your Lord, your leader every day. And we have a choice, a decision every day to say, Jesus, I want you to be the king of my heart. I want you to lead me. I want you to guide me. I want you to be the fire that burns in my soul. I want you to be the anchor in the waves, the storms of life. I want you to be in charge. We sing a song often here called King of My Heart. And it's a song that allows us to give words to what it means for Jesus to be the king of our life. It's a declaration, it's a statement of who Jesus is to us, our King. You know, we all can be guilty when it comes to a song of just singing the words, not connecting, not thinking, not, not engaging mentally or emotionally with the words. I want to close this message with that song. And as we sing it, I want you to ponder what you're singing. I want you to sing it and say it like you mean it. I want you to dwell on what it means for Jesus to be the, the king of your heart, the fountain of life where you drink living water, the refuge you run to in time of trouble. So I want you to stand up. We're going to sing this song and, and Sing it from the depths of your heart. Let, let's don't get this interpretation wrong. There's only one interpretation, that he will be the king of our heart now and forever. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.